Welcome to the Noel Kassler Podcast, episode 13. Thanks for coming back, folks. We look forward to entertaining you for the next hour as we run down <laughs> the week's events. I'm back here with my favorite sports fan, mighty Jimmy Kennedy, to wrap up the week's events. And uh, we're, we're looking towards a Memorial Day weekend. So hopefully, you know, everybody had a good weekend when you hear this on Monday morning. And hopefully you let the uh, insanity of the last week and the last year wash <laughs> off you for a couple of days and you got to maybe connect with some friends and family. Jimmy, what are you what are you up to, buddy? Well, uh, I mentioned it last week, but this weekend, uh, the Indianapolis 500 is taking place. Uh, unfortunately, yesterday, uh, I went to my great aunt Mary's funeral. First time I got to see a lot of my family since COVID because of all the restrictions. So it was an unfortunate event to actually see everyone. But we also got a little bit of closure when it came to my great aunt Mary. She was a phenomenal person. And it's, it's one of the drawbacks of coming from a, a big Irish family. You know, the more family you have, the more funerals you're going to attend. But we're a unit and it was good to see everybody. Right on, man. Well, I'm yeah. sorry for your loss. I come from an Irish Catholic family myself, so I get it. And, uh, you know, it's a blessing that you got to meet in person. I lost 12 friends over the last year and I went to way too many Zoom funerals, you know, and hopefully I don't have to go to any more Zoom funerals because... Uh, it's something, you know, hitting end meeting or something just feels especially, you know, mm -hmm. harsh when you can't give people a hug when they're grieving. So I'm sorry for your loss, but uh, thank you, brother. If she's yeah. a great on, it sounds like she had a great life. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've had multiple generations in my family for a long time. And I just being there and thinking about the last year, it's like, think how many graduations were missed, you know, like so many American traditions were just taken away and you can't go back in time and get them. You know, that's the unfortunate thing with COVID that's kind of irreplaceable. Well, yeah. And it's not just COVID. It was Trumpism, you know, Trump right. took away, you know, his mismanagement of it. We lost a year of American life, of American progress, of cultural progress. How many plays didn't come out? How many movies didn't get made? How many, you know, books weren't published? How many people gave up? You know, how many people mm -hmm. fell into circumstances as young people in their families that they now can't go pursue that career in the arts, you know, because daddy lost his job a year ago and they had struggled to put food on the table and the government was basically against them the whole time, you know, or now they're in one of the 23 states where the GOP governors are turning down the extra federal $300 a week unemployment. <laughs> you know, that's insane. Nobody's mm -hmm. doing well after this last year, except for billionaires. Billionaires made a fortune. Jeff Bezos made a lot of money last year, and now he's getting $10 billion from the government so he can build a rocket and compete with Elon Musk, you know, <laughs> but the poor man, you know, or the middle class man or the working collar, you know, class man, whatever you want to label them, there's families that have been struggling for too long. And, you know, back to your point, like we lost more than a year's time and shut down. We lost lives, which are irreplaceable, and that's the ultimate sacrifice. You know, there's nothing more valuable that was taken from this planet than almost 600,000 souls that didn't have to perish. You know, those people didn't die in those numbers in New Zealand. They've been back at life for a long time. They didn't lose progress as a nation. We not only lost progress, you know, because of Trump and living under a madman, we now have a party that is so emboldened and so empowered in that way of life, they're not even going to let us look at all the bad stuff that happened. You know, we found out officially 18 minutes ago, we taped this on Friday, that the Republicans were successful in blocking a January 6th investigation. Mm. That's insane. That'd yeah. be like if Pearl Harbor happened, you're like, oh, we're not going to find out who did it. 
9-11 happened, right? We're not going to look into this because they can't look into it. It is them. Trumpism represents their way of life at this point. It's like I talk about all the time, the unlevel playing field, the mediocre white male, you know, who gets ahead in life because his daddy made a lot of money and he sends his idiot son like Matt Gates to William and Mary Law School. And then dumb Matt Gates gets into Florida Senate and then stupid racist Matt Gates, you know, cokehead, pedophile, predator gets to go to Congress and he's under investigation now and he's holding rallies. He just called on Silicon Valley people to get shot. You know, he, he called on people to use their Second Amendment rights to defend against cancel culture and go show them what's up there in Silicon Valley. You know, mm -hmm. there's a leader in Congress telling people to take up arms and attack fellow Americans in Silicon Valley, which is about 20 minutes from San Jose, where they had yet another mass shooting two days ago mm -hmm. where eight people perished, right? And he's going to face no consequences for that because it is their brand now. They can't censure him. It is them. They are that. And they, they realize how much power is in, in that. And they went all in on it. That's their gig now. And they know it. That's the song they're playing. They're a crappy cover band. And they're playing Trump's greatest hits until <laughs> that's the only music allowed, you know? Well, it's it's similar to, and I hate to put down a legend like Mick Foley, but we talked about professional wrestling on this show. There's a reason why Hulk Hogan, you know, still walks down to the same music, flexes the same way and does the ear cupping, you know, to each side of the arena because it's been working since the 1980s. You know, Donald Trump is just like Hulk Hogan. He's got the same get up. He's just older, fatter and a little slower. And it's it's really unfortunate that American politics has been permeated by like a WWE professional wrestling reality TV kind of scope. It's it's disappointing. <laughs> it's very disappointing, especially as you know, we have another Memorial Day weekend, you know, and you had a president who said those guys are losers. Why would I go to that cemetery? Those were a bunch of losers. You're a sucker if you give your life to defend this country. And people bought it. Because like I say every week, he had a bunch of flags. He hugged the flag. He played the dumbass Lee Greenwood song. You know what I mean? He made fun of liberals and he made fun of homosexual Americans and transvestites and everyone that if you're ignorant, small of mind, feeble of heart, you know, and cowardice in your community, you respond to that. Because dumb, unsophisticated people sit around their kitchen tables and make fun of things they don't understand. They make fun of Black Lives Matter because they're like, I don't get it. All cops are good guys. No, they're not. They're good to you because you're white. Your cousin Vinny's on the force. So you didn't get, you know, thrown in the drunk tank when you came home in a DWI. You know, there's something that's never talked about. White folks get get out of jail free cards. If you grew up, especially where I do in New York and you know somebody who's a cop, they give you their PBA card you know, or their business card. And you're allowed to show that to a cop that pulls you over and it gets you out of that infraction. That's an unspoken thing that's gone on for decades in white America. They don't give them out to black people, you know, and I've been in cars where dudes use those cards and I was like, please pull them over, you know, like he's drunk and I'm a passenger, like just take this guy. To, and, and I had a guy get let go. We were in Jersey on route 17 and then he got pulled over again. And I used to drink back then too. I was, he got pulled over twice. And the second guy was like, no, you know, the card doesn't work. <laughs> like you're going to jail, buddy. And I was like, thank God, you know, cause I'm like, you know, it was insane, but that's, that's America. But the people that grow up in that, that are protected by it, they don't want to challenge it. 
Why would I challenge it? You know, don't break the law and you won't get in trouble. That's not true. You know, that is not true at all. These people get shot in the back and police brutality is rampant in this country. But people don't understand that, you know, and Trump was able to he instinctually knows those marks are out there. He knows America's full of these people and Fox News has primed them for decades. So their brains are just completely malleable and they they get the right trigger words, the left socialism, communism, you know, transsexual, like all this kind of things that just make them be like, whoa, we have to fight against that. How do I do that? You put this Punisher sticker on the back of your pickup truck and this flag, you know, and you get a 48 ounce Mountain Dew and you head down to the local arena and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are going to tell you how you fight against socialism to save America, right? People are buying it. Like how many offshoots you made the wrestling analogy. Like they used to just have like Hulk mania or whatever the hell it was called when I was Hulkamania. Right. It was just like, there was only a couple really famous wrestlers, you know? And like now it's an entire industry. Your biggest (laughs) stars are wrestlers. One of them just had to apologize to China this week, you know, and he didn't even say anything wrong. He was saying the truth. Hong Kong is a country, but like, Hey, that's a big market. We don't want to say that this big authoritarian country, that's basically kind of our enemy in a government sense, not the people, but the government, you know, we don't want to offend them because we can sell a lot of whatever the hell the WWE even sells. I don't know what the end product is, a Hulk Hogan mug or whatever the stupid crap is. (laughs) And that's what I'm always talking about. That's our society. You got people numb and drunk on superheroes and cartoon characters. You know, and they're being manipulated with that iconography. And and Trump is a master of that. People think he's stupid. Look at the stuff he got away with. And he is stupid. But you're underestimating him if you're just like, oh, he's a joke. He's a dumbass. He's a dumbass who's gotten away with everything his whole life. Right. He's a dumbass who now has the entire GOP voting this morning to not investigate the day that he told thousands of people to go attack the Capitol to hang the vice president. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's a mob boss. So he doesn't say hang him. He just goes, go, go tell Pence he's doing the wrong thing. Send him a message. Let him know Donna wants to talk to him. You know, <laughs> at the mob boss. Those guys know what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all that other crap that they've been fed comes alive in those moments. You know, they're like, I'm the Punisher now. I get to storm the Capitol. You know, I finally get to use my taser and put 15 zip ties on my belt. Like, what are you going to take hostages? Like, this was insane. If that was a bunch of African-American, you know, rioters, mm. right, or yeah. Muslims, they would have been, They it would have been a bloodbath. It would have been like Gettysburg, you know? They would have been, like, put down on the field before they got to the state. <laughs> Okay, and and the the GOP would have had investigations until you're in your 70s, bro. Yeah, my my children would have to go through multiple ones. Exactly. Um, Yeah, man. I mean, I just I hate to be this dark so early on into the show, but I mean, are we at a point with the GOP like we can't go back now? They're a fascist party. Are they not? You know, like we're at that point and we need to recognize it. They're beyond democracy. Yep. No, we're absolutely at this point and go dark. That's what this is about. You know, I'll get my, my listeners, you know, I know I'm normally not bubbly, you know, but I'm not, I'm pissed now because I'm tired of talking about this, but I'm not going to give up because it is worse now than it was when Trump was president. You are in da- more danger today than you were in December or October. And I know Biden won and I know Biden's doing good things and accomplishing stuff, but he has a very limited window to be in there. 
Okay, and if the Republicans take back the House in November 2022, a year and a half from now, you're going to be in trouble. It's going to be all over. And what happened that gave us the House and the Senate, like the runoff election in Georgia and things like that, they're making sure that never happens again. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you think that would be dying out. Those embers of that insanity and the big lie is not fizzling out. It's spreading. It's not only Arizona and Georgia now. I think there's a county in Oregon or Washington state that's going to allow some sort of recount. They're trying to do it in Pennsylvania. Basically, anywhere where they have an elected Republican official who is sympathetic to Trumpism and the big lie and will allow them access to ballots, they can now hire these companies like cyber ninjas, people that have no experience ever dealing with ballots. They're just mm -hmm. fronts for Trumpism and QAnon. They can go in and cause this chaos. And that is going to be the undoing of democracy because your votes aren't going to count anymore. You know, some state's secretary of state or board of elections head who's a Republican is going to be like, yep, we're not counting those votes, you know, and it's going to happen. It's happening now. So they're making sure what happened doesn't happen again. They're disenfranchising voters. They're continuing to gerrymander districts and they're continuing to sort of gin up these soldiers. You know, there's a reason that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are having rallies every weekend you know, that are selling out. There's a reason you have things like CPAC. You know, there's a reason that Trump is like, give me money 24 hours a day, help the fight. His reason is he wants the money to defend himself, you know, and, and you know, hang out on his golf course and continue to grift. But like that has turned into a business model now, you know, and, and right. people are going to wake up and have a country that isn't there anymore. And they're going to be like, hey, what happened? Well, the Democrats didn't fight hard enough. You know, you got to you got to get rid of the filibuster. You got to act like this right. is your last chance to legislate, because I'll tell you what, if you lose it, you ain't getting it back in there. And don't don't count on the Republicans to do the right thing. They haven't censured Matt Getz. They haven't removed him from the Judiciary Committee. You know, as I just said minutes ago, he called for armed insurrection against Silicon Valley. You know, he's under <laughs> investigation for child prostitution, you know, or whatever nomenclature you want to use to describe his depravity. It's out in the open. He did it. And don't hold your breath that he's going to be held accountable by the legal system. That's another scam. Trump should have gone to jail in the 80s for what he did. You know, he was a public crime figure in 1981 over the building of Trump Tower. I talked about that last week. You know, he was using mob cement, you know, and cutting deals with Teamsters during a strike to make sure his concrete flowed. And he did that by giving a penthouse away to the mobster's girlfriend. And then he tried to wire it himself so he could spy on the mob. That's what Trump does is he plays both sides of this thing. You think Mitch McConnell is not allowing a vote just because he likes Trump? No, because his wife is Elaine Chow, who is corrupt as fuck, you know, mm -hmm. whose family was probably bringing bales of cocaine over, you know, on their shipping boats, you know. The IG inspector said investigate her, and the Trump Department of Justice refused to do so. So that's what the Dems have to do. You have to say, all right, Mitch, you don't want to do this investigation? We're going to do another one into your wife, you know, who mm -hmm. conveniently resigned right after the insurrection, two weeks later, right? We're going to look into her. The last Justice Department wouldn't, but we will. Let's let's open the books and look at all her ties to China. Let's look at all your ties to Deripaska funding all of the private coal mines in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. You're the most unpopular senator that's ever been in Kentucky, and the guy hasn't lost an election there since the 80s. And plus, you know, Mitch, uh, when you look at his hand, like he fell last year, right? He was all bruised up. And then his hand is like leaking fluid and bodily fluid. You know, like the guy 
he seems to be falling apart in real time, both, you know, his human body and uh, his ideology. You know what I said about him last year when that was happening? I said he looks like something that a jogger would find under a pile of leaves beginning <laughs> of law and order. He looks yeah. like a corpse, you know, like you find him in the woods. He is falling apart. He's rotting from within because that's what that does to you. The hate that these guys are spewing, you're now seeing it the toxic effects of that in our society. And we have a really big problem on our hands that we need to start addressing. I'm sure everyone saw the video of the lady punching the flight attendant on the airplane that mm-hmm. came out, you know, this week. Like that was disgusting. That turned my stomach. Here's a woman punching a flight attendant in the face to the point she bloodied her face on an airplane mm-hmm. in front of children, I believe in front of her own children. And that's where people are at now. They think you're the other, I can attack you. That's the gift that Trump gave them, for lack of a better word. There was the uh, there was a motel owner in Michigan this week, too, whose family happens to own all the motels in that particular resort area. And like they controlled the city council to the point like there's not no Airbnbs allowed, you know, so they mm-hmm. don't lose any money and they, they have a monopoly on all the hotels. And this mother was there. It was two mothers were there with their children and they rented a couple of rooms or something. And one of the rooms, the toilet started overflowing. You know, the water okay. was rushing out. It's flooding the hotel room. So she went to the front desk and was like, hey, you know, the room's flooding. Like, what do I do? How do I turn it? Where's the valve to turn off the water? And he's like, I told you, I told you, you dumbass, you dumb Democrat. I already told you, get out of here. If you don't like it, leave. And I'm charging you anyway. He completely shut off his humanity to her, you know, and just kept staring at his phone. Like you're a liberal, screw you. You know, this guy's the hotel manager. He's on duty. You know, and it went viral and they suspended him or whatever until it dies down and then he'll get his job back. But my point is, I, and I've said this before, you don't divide a nation. That's the worst thing you can do to a people is divide them against themselves to think that your other person is the enemy. And this isn't even, and there's no, there's never a case for division, right? And you can under, you can never understand it, right? But this is not even like where you can see how ignorance could take it an easier hold, like, oh, that person's black or they're Muslim, or I don't understand them. They're foreign to me. These are like two white people in Michigan. You know what I mean? <laughs> you grew up on the same Wonder Bread. You know, you grew up listening to the same Bob Seger tunes like that person is not your enemy and you don't know. Nobody is your enemy. You know what I mean? But my point is, if people can catch it, is like he's divided people that look just like each other. Neighbor, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what you had in a civil war. It's like cousins shooting cousins because they were born on the different side of a line, an imaginary line that you drew in the sand, you know, or in the in the in the cornfield. (laughs) But That's where we're at. And that's the legacy of Trumpism. And I can feel it. You know, I can feel the anger, the trauma, because we've all been through trauma in this last year. Whether you want to admit it or not, I say like most of us must be suffering from some kind of PTSD, you know, and I've I have PTSD. Like I had a traumatic stuff happen in my childhood where like I've been diagnosed with that, you know, and I've had to deal with it. It's not on the level of somebody who went to Vietnam or Iraq or something, but trauma is trauma. You know, it's going to affect you a certain way and you have to deal with it. And there's no shame in dealing with that. But we haven't even addressed that. We're just kind of like, yep, things are opening up. (laughs) Going to move on, you know, get time to go back to the baseball game or whatever, you know, like, no. We need to deal with this and heal and also resentment. 
like I'll say this one more thing and then you can talk, but resentment is the number one offender. If you're in recovery like I am, the, the most dangerous thing that you have to watch out for is anger building up in you. Anger is a dubious luxury, you know, of normal men is what you say if you're an alcoholic in recovery because you can't afford to get angry because resentment is a poison and it, it, and it poisons the host. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and Trump just fed people resentment. Fox News is feeding resentment 24 hours a day. Social media is feeding resentment. So you're taking in all this poison. Eventually it's going to come out because you're going to be in so much pain. You're going to strike out at somebody, whether that's an, you know, a woman in the middle of the night, a mother who's trying to, you know, be like, how do I stop my kids from floating away in my hotel room? <laughs> you know, and you just yeah. tell her to fuck off and leave in the middle of the night, which is what this guy did. And these families had nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Like that, talk about un-American. That's un-American. That's what he's given us. You know, these people that are pretending to be patriots have turned their backs on any sort of ethos and morality that we used to pretend was the glue of this nation. Even though we excluded others from that for our entire mm -hmm. history, at least the white folks kind of lived in this dumbass denial. <laughs> that, you know, we're good apple pie people and we stop and help you fix a tire. No, now we give you the finger as we ride down the road or shoot you because we feel threatened by you. Well, and the fact, I mean, you had Senator Ted Cruz go to Mexico. He, he fleed the United States to Mexico during the time that Texas had the power grids go down. You know, and you were talking about trauma through the pandemic and everything else that's happened. We had a mental health problem before the pandemic happened. Then you isolate people in their homes. You know, all of the things that have gone on since then. And you were talking about your own battles with PTSD. I'm sure I have it. Between all the death that I've seen in my family, the Trumpism the last four years and the pandemic, I certainly have it. It's undiagnosed, but we have a, a fractured people, both mentally and I mean, financially, there's been so many different areas of American life that have been tarnished that, you know, we talked about having a holistic approach and, you know, we only have so much time again, going back to our theme of it today, that, that they could take back the house by midterms. I'm sorry to be so hopeless, but it's like, man, even when we thought we won, we're in a losing situation. Absolutely. And we'll lose more than just that year. We just lost. You know, we just were, you know, we opened the show talking about, you know, a lost year of American progress. It takes a long time to dig out of a hole that is a, a psychological one. You know, depression, I've, I've suffered from depression, active alcoholism, addiction, all that stuff, you know, and all that stuff. There's no shame in any of that, but you have to treat it. You just mentioned isolation. That's the worst thing for somebody, mm. like an alcoholic or something, or anybody who's suffering, you know, from mental illness, which alcoholism and addiction is a form of mental illness. And there's no shame in mental illness. We got to remove the stigma and mm. we got to treat people. It's okay to feel your feelings. You know, the flip side of this is while he's giving them all this resentment and grievance, they're also pushing this message of this toxic masculinity, you know, right. which is like, I don't cry. I don't feel anything. <laughs> no, that's dumb. You know, that's just dumb. That's just going to make you an asshole. You know, that's just going to make you mean to your kids and your wife, if not violent towards them. And then you're going to pour alcohol on those feelings or drugs on, on that unhealed trauma. And you're going to become a monster. And I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene today talking about like, the left wants to take away your masculinity. Well, it looks like she already <laughs> took it all, right? <laughs> she already swallowed up all the masculinity. You know, she's got all my testosterone and a mayonnaise jar and her freaking you know, <laughs> and her troll lair. But um, 
you know, the point is that toxic BS is BS. It's exactly what it is. It's propaganda, but it was fed into this same thing. And that's by design. It was, you mentioned Ted Cruz. He was tweeting out Nazi boy porn last week. You know, <laughs> like, uh-oh, look at the Russian army. You know, those are Hollister models, dude. That's not really <laughs> modality. You know what I'm saying? That's like, those are extras from 500, you know, and you're whacking off to that thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, that's hot, isn't it, Ted? That's what people should have asked him. Like, those dudes are sexy AF. It didn't have anything to do with his emasculated thing. He was like, man, I'll take some of that, you know? And there's no shame in that. But it's like, and that's the other thing, too, is that the same people that are sort of homophobic in this toxic masculinity are also very, like, homoerotic in their imagery. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, football's cool because you see these guys in these tight pants, right? Nobody <laughs> wants to admit it, but the physique is attractive, right? There's a reason they wear tight pants. Now, every football fan is going to be like, no, nah, man, that ain't me, dude. That ain't why I'm looking <laughs> at it. Why? You can't see it looks good? You know what I'm saying? It looks good. It's attractive. It's muscular. It's physique. You know, there's beautiful things about men and women that both sides can appreciate, you know, and you don't have to look. Jimmy's mind's blown. If anyone can see he's blushing. He's like, I never made that connection. That ain't. Well, I mean, I was going to say, man, LeBron, LeBron is an Adonis. I'll say it right now. Exactly. Exactly. He's a freak. He's a freak. And everybody wants to see a guy like that performing at a top level. It's what people do. Right. That's what sports are. There's a sexual yeah. charge to the whole thing. You don't have to deny it. You Tom Brady's to... hot. I'll be the first to admit it. Tom Brady's hot, man. He's cool. Now, now you've gone too far, bro. If anybody's listening and you want to produce the Noel Kassler podcast. Oh, my no. Man, my man just praised Tom Brady. He can't oh, come sorry. back from that. Yeah, no, Tom Brady's a great looking guy, obviously, but he's a, mm -hmm. he's a cheater. Mm -hmm. But uh I've met Tom Brady. Don't get me started on Tom Brady. I'm a Colts fan, man. I know. I did too many yeah. Super Bowls with Tom Brady. He could have been such a good guy, and he's just not. You know, and all the Boston listeners are going to get mad, but we could go right into Robert Kraft. It came out yesterday that Trump was trying to get Arlen Specter to lobby on behalf of Robert Kraft during the Inflategate, you know, hearings or whatever. Um, the fact that they had hearings on Deflategate, they, they could have beaten the Colts with golf balls that day. Wouldn't have mattered. I know. You know? And, and everybody knows the Patriots cheated. They had a murderer on their team. They knew the guy <laughs> was the murderer. I can't believe I was on the same field with that guy when I watched the documentary, oh Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, because I would walk up and down their sidelines. I was like in some of those Super Bowls. I'm like, oh, my God, I was that close to a murderer. <laughs> You know, they knew he was a murderer long before, you know, if you watch the doc, they they didn't let him go until they had to. But that's a I don't want to get on that tangent. <laughs> but it's you could why, you could see why the Republicans love him. You could see why Trump loved the Patriots, you know, and Tom Brady had a thing with Ivanka, too. You know, they had a little tryst and stuff. And no way. Yeah. And Trump used to be like, <laughs> I could have had him as a son. And I got Jared over here, you know, <laughs> like. And he was a judge on Miss, uh, he was a judge on one of the Miss, Miss Universe pageants as well. They're, they oh, go wow. way back. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we're getting off on a tangent. But my point is toxic masculinity. Okay. When it's sold to you by a party that's also demonizing the other, you know, and anti-LGTBQ, you know, and homophobic. That's just horrible because then you have people in this internal battle with themselves and you have people afraid to be who they are. And it's once again, stuffing those emotions. Boys don't cry kind of BS, you know, mm -hmm. and you see what that does to men. It hardens them and it makes them ever insecure. So then they have to reach for things to make them feel 
secure and strong. And that's where the NRA comes in. You know, all this stuff as a toxic brio designed to build upon each other as a profit scheme. You know, Fox News lays the groundwork for the NRA. You know, Fox News doing all these reports on muggings being up in all these cities and the blacks are coming for you and Antifa is going to come and rape and kill your family in the middle of the night, right? Mm -hmm. And then the NRA steps in. Well, here, a true patriot has an AR-15 or 10 of them in their home to protect against this stuff. And these guys that are sitting on the couch with their beer bellies and their bro beards watching football, (laughs) knowing they can never compete against one of those Adonises that they're watching on the basketball court and stuff, you know, knowing that they physically don't really measure up against the black man. And let's face it, that's always been one of the things going on in this country. White men are threatened by black men Physically, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. certainly mentally, because they're they're obviously just as equal as, as all humans are. Right. So that's why you get those two tropes like we're smarter, you know, like, no, racism is based in fear. You're scared of the other. So you're trying to dehumanize them or you're trying to cover for your own defects. And all of that stuff plays into the person that's then like, I got to defend myself against that. You know, I need yeah. weapons and guns. And a lot of people get played like a fiddle on both sides of this thing. You know, a lot of members of the press never rose to the occasion. You know, everybody's like this week, like Jeff Bezos is going to have the apprentice tapes. No, no, he's not. No, he's not. Calm down. Whatever tweet you saw, that dude was looking for likes. That's called clickbait. Okay. There's not going to be a little box saying, Hey, Jeff, here's the apprentice tapes with all Trump saying the N word, which I told you about, which Kwame Jackson already told you about, which Holly Robinson Pete told you about. Believe the black people that already saw it firsthand. You know, why are you waiting for the white savior billionaire come to come and make it, you know, make it available to you? And he's not gonna. Okay, because Mark Burnett also owns The Voice and Survivor and Shark Tank and all these other really profitable properties that if he if those tapes are released, those properties go down in value because people realize, hey, Mark Burnett was sitting right next to Trump in the helicopter when he's saying all this stuff. Maybe I shouldn't be watching his show. Maybe NBC shouldn't re-up the contract. Right. So. Bezos isn't paying $8.5 billion for a company that he wants to immediately deflate the value of, okay? Mm -hmm. And if he was so interested in that, he owns a newspaper called the Washington Post, (laughs) okay? If he wanted to get on record that Trump used the N-word, he has about 300 reporters that he could have put on the story at any point in the last five years to get the truth. They're not interested in the truth. They're interested in stoking outrage and getting eyeballs and clicks on articles, but never digging deep. You don't think other people knew that Trump was on drugs? The dude would use cocaine openly in the 80s in clubs. You know, he sat in the back of the limo outside VH1 Glamour Women of the Year in 2000 and did lines in front of my buddy, Billy Amato, the transportation coordinator. You could see him right through the window. He snorted Adderall on the Apprentice set, Celebrity Apprentice, when I was there. It was no secret, but people buy this myth and they don't want to look at the real truth because media, you know, and and magazines and things like that were big business for a long time. And they were the domain of the Ivy League educated. You know, if you wanted to go work at a big magazine in New York City, when you got out of a big fancy journalism school, you went to the, you know, you moved to New York and you became a fact checker, got that job through a connection that you had because you went to Penn or somewhere and you worked your way up the ranks. And then you got to write the little articles and the puff pieces. And then you became an investigative reporter. And then you wrote cover stories and you made a lot of money and maybe you became an editor someday. Okay. 
Right. But you never looked at the salacious stuff. Yes, you would write about murders and these kind of like big, you know, sensational stories, but you didn't talk about things like Trump, you know, having sex with underage girls, Trump using drugs, all this kind of stuff that, you know, they wrote about Trump a gazillion times in the 80s and 90s. Like he was on the cover every day when mm-hmm. I was in high school. But nobody really talked about that. Even when these things were facts, you know, what he did to Ivana was a fact of his divorce. She testified under oath. Yeah, he ripped my hair out and raped me, you know, because he didn't like the scalp reduction that my plastic surgeon gave him. So he said, you ruined my life, ripped out her hair and raped her. That's the kind of guy he is. And that was no secret to anybody. The dude was a monster, but he was a wealthy white man and his name was on the side of the building and magazines were making money off of putting him on the cover because now he's getting divorced and he's hooking up with Marla Maples. Uh Uh-oh, better put that on the (laughs) post every day, right? It's all the same thing. You thought, you know, CNN knew who he was. Jeff Zucker was the dude who gave him the job at the, you know, The Apprentice, Mm -hmm. right? Jeff Zucker was the head of NBC Universal entertainment the same company that does put the voice on another mark burnett property like this stuff is all related well and one crazy thing that concerns me about journalism at least in the future you know you have these companies are continuing to merge you know you had time warner and at&t a few years ago merge the the ownership is getting more concentrated when it comes to media so there's less and less voices out there which only, you know, kind of deflates the truth because you're only hearing it from so many different perspectives. Absolutely. And, and somebody like Trump, who's so media savvy, OK, who used to pretend like he was his own publicist. And hey, this is John Barron. And I need to talk about the story. <laughs> yeah. Trump was seen with not one, not two, but three beautiful models last night at Bungalow mm-hmm. 8. They say he satisfied them all until the wee hours, you know, <laughs> like. That was literally the kind of crap he would call up and tell these news desks. But he knows better than anybody else that the media and the legit media, okay, little made up magazines you see on Twitter, you know, that's not me. Okay, that's not media. Media is the New York Times, the Washington Post, you know, a lot of magazines, serious magazines, you know, Time Magazine, that's media, you know, that's mainstream media. Those kind of places are not going to print a story unless it's corroborated by three sources. Trump knows that. You know, that's why he got away with the Adderall. That's why he had Keith Schiller and another big bodyguard go to Harold Bornstein's office, you know, after he got elected and take his medical records because he knew without those records, it wasn't coming out. You know, Mm -hmm. I talked to one of the biggest journalists in the country, in the history of our country, who happens to be a friend of mine. And I told him all I knew, you know, and I gave him one other corroborating source. You couldn't get the third source. And that guy told Mm -hmm. me it's the doctor. The doctor is the key to this story. And that doctor happened to die in January, mysteriously, you know, days after he's dead. <laughs> Trump's doctor since the 80s, Dr. Feelgood, you know, Dr. Bornstein, who doled out pills on the Upper East Side for Park Avenue wives for 40 years and got sued because some people would OD because he would overprescribe you. He's the guy you went to to get drugs. You know, he's a gastroenterologist. Trump made him his primary position in the 80s. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? If you've ever seen the guy, he's got long hair. He looks like somebody you buy drugs from, you know? And I know people who got drugs from him. I know people who know him. It was no secret. You know, he was on like East 79th or some 78th Street, his office. And that's my neighborhood, you know? And that's also where I'm in recovery. So I know people with serious pill addictions in the Upper East Side that got their pills from this guy, as did Trump forever, you know? And that's why he went and got the records, right? But without that, 
You're not proving it. And Trump knows you're not going to prove it. So he makes the media the enemy, but he also survives by the ethics that the media has. Do do you know what I mean? Like every time he would talk about how you're a shady reporter, you're a liar. Deep down, he knows they have complete ethics and they're not going to say something until it's proven beyond a reasonable doubt, you know, because the editors think they're going to get sued. So then you don't get the true stories. You know, the New York Times wrote about the 13-year-old who was completely credible, who gave a deposition that Trump raped her, you know, in Jeffrey Epstein's townhouse on East mm-hmm. 71st Street, where a friend of mine was one of those women who went in there, you know, and said, you won't believe the things that men did to women in there. You know, she said, you don't even want to know, Noel. And I'm like, you're right. I do not want to know. But um, I can imagine, you know, but anyway, right. everyone knew who Trump was. You know, but the media wasn't going to dig deep on that. The New York Times did do some pieces. Trump was supposed to, you know, go to court. You know, he was going to be like be de- deposed on this thing. And, and it went away. She As had- POTUS. Yes. What? As president of the United before States. President, before oh, president. This okay. was in the fall of 16. Okay. What happened was the woman made the mistake of hiring Lisa Bloom, who's kind of a fixer, you know, for misogynist, basically. Lisa Bloom tried to set up my friend, Kathy Griffin. You know, she, 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 you think she's going to be on your side if you hire her, but she's really on the side of, you know, the Weinstein right. types and stuff. So this girl hired Lisa Bloom and then blew up basically her, you know, who she was. And then the girl got too many death threats and stuff in her family and she withdrew the charges or whatever. Yeah. The layman's version of that story, you know, but the girl misstepped and trusted the wrong people and the story went away. And then Trump became president and nobody wanted to revisit it. It's on Twitter. You can see the girl's deposition. It's plain as day because the language is Trump's language. Right. You know, just like if you listen to E. Jean Carroll, there's a piece in her, you know, telling of of the horrible thing that Trump did to her, where she talks about walking around in Bergdorf Goodman and she was picking out, he had to pick out a scarf for his secretary or something. And she'd be like, how's this one? And he'd be like, oh, that's an ugly one. Not that one. That's Trump. He's a contrarian. You know, he can't, he always says the wrong, you know, he always says you're doing it wrong. And that's what that girl had in her deposition. Trump was yelling at her and another girl that they weren't filleting him properly. You're doing it wrong. Think about what I just said. Do you know what filleting means? Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an odd thing that he gets aroused when he's angry. <laughs> right. You know? Violence is part yeah. of it. brutality is part of it. It's dominance. It's not sex. Rape is a violent act. It's got nothing to do with sex. It's about men trying to exert their dominance, exert their dominance over women. And that's Trump in every interaction. Look at him in the press conferences. You sit down. You're a nasty woman. You shouldn't be asking me that question. Like he would lose it. The guy I knew you saw more often than not in those pressers that were always happening a year ago when his narcissism made him go out in front of the cameras every day because he knew everybody was home and going to watch. And then he just attacked reporters, female reporters, right? He didn't go off on the guys too much. He went off on the women. Well, and he does it with his handshake, even, you know, with the jerking motion. Did you ever shake his hand? Did you ever get to experience that person? God, no. Okay. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, you would want Purell after that handshake, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a weird thing. You know, I've talked with like body language experts on my show about how Trump acts. You know, he's a sadist. He likes seeing people in pain. He's a, he's a psychopath. Like we've talked about it before. He has no feeling or understanding of other people's emotions or pain. No, he's a psychopath. Had he been born poor in the Bronx, nature would have taken its course and he would have never seen his 20s. 
because somebody else's father would have murdered him, you know, because he threw rocks at babies. You know, that's what he did in Queens. He threw rocks at the neighbor's baby when the baby was in its playpen in the neighbor's yard. That's a troubled kid. You know, psycho killers torture animals and stuff. There's telltale signs of this dude ain't right. And Trump had all of them flashing in neon on his forehead since he was a little kid. But he had rich families and he was the scion of, you know, a father who was deeply corrupt, you know, who was building buildings on behalf of the Genovese crime family and needed to pass it on to somebody, you know, and the older son was an alcoholic. The younger son was an alcoholic. Trump was a cokehead. So, well, he gets the gig, (laughs) you know, even though he's a psychopath. So they send him, you know, to boarding school, which was military school, which was reform school. He tries to throw his roommate out the window. He said the major leagues were scouting him. They had to <laughs> buy all his school records. They had to support that school every year, like build gymnasiums and all this stuff to protect the records for the entire time. Then they, the school really needed him or it was going to be destroyed. And Trump was like, well, everything comes to an end. And they let the school like get destroyed. Well, and my my understanding is that Freddie was like a good guy. People liked Freddie, his brother, right? The one that died but, yeah. early. Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, I, I never heard anything really bad about, about the older brother. I mean, and, and Mary, that's that's Freddie's yes. uh, daughter. daughter. The, one, the uh, one that wrote. And it wasn't until hers got sold to Simon & Schuster, right? And then that became public and she went on mad out on the whole thing. I mean, that it goes back to, it's all interconnected. Exactly. From the from the media to the to the way that it's projected out to the public. It's all exactly. interconnected. You're, you're, exactly. You, you've been paying attention, Grasshopper. Good. <laughs> Jimmy's making the point that, you know, it became this breathless breaking news when Mary Trump, who's great and follows me, I follow her on Twitter. I applaud her, you know, and she's got a she's got one of the 14 lawsuits that Trump's now facing. I think it's 14. <laughs> Who can keep track? But um, when she said he uses the N-word, it became breaking news. You know, when a white woman with a contract at Simon & Schuster says it, it's a big deal. And now Maddow can report on it. They can't report on it when it's Kwame Jackson, you know, or when it's some comedian like me who was, you know, a talent escort on the show or whatever. And and part of that is legit, you know, because managers and, and editors and people need to know, like, information is true before they put it out on a corporate medium. But part of it is like, we're not going to tell this story until another other corporation can make money off it. You know, Simon and Schuster is on Sixth Avenue, right next door to NBC. <laughs> you know, they're a block apart, you know, and Fox News is right across the street. And that's what people <laughs> also don't realize is how small a conglomeration all of mass media is. It's all the same people getting wealthy. The whole Trump thing was a local story to me. You know, Epstein's at 71st, you know, Larry Kudlow's next door to me until he goes to D.C., you know, Geraldo Rivera is around the corner. Bette Midler is at the end of the block. Like, you know, everybody that I would see fighting on Twitter, it was like, this is all in the same neighborhood. This is all the same type of thing. And, and it, it's like, which side are you going to get on to make your buck? Beware of grifters on either side of the situation. I, I would like to warn people on that. Well, a guy that's going to be uh, in town for the Indy 500 this week that you're uh, live, or at least you've said in previous shows, uh, David Letterman, you know, he's a guy that lives in your neighborhood. And I've been reading the uh, the book, The Late Shift, about how like Johnny Carson left The Tonight Show and, um, you know, Jay got The Tonight Show and they were battling it out. It's interesting to hear the the politics go along with that, man. But um yeah, it's it's so unfortunate that like the entire system, again, is interconnected, you know, um, really unfortunate. 
Absolutely. And Letterman lives by my country house, by the way, not in my city neighborhood. Oh, okay. My, my bad, man. Just wanted, yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to check. I, he's got a full Letterman racing team and, you know, I, he's won it before. Buddy Rice I'm won sure. it one year uh, back, yeah. back in the day. No, obviously he's a huge car guy, but he's also, you know, he drives a leaf now. He drives an electric car. You know, he, he's, he's hip to, he's hip to where, what we have to be in terms of the environmental stuff, you know, and Leno, you know, Leno invited me to his garage last year. I, I interviewed him on another show that I used to co-host the Stuttering John show. Leno was like, Hey man, if you're ever in LA, you come to my garage. Like you got an invite to come to my garage. I'd be all That's, over that. Isn't that yeah. awesome? That'd be great, man. What car would you want to drive out of his garage? You know, I'm in the mid 60s. My favorite car I ever had was an Oldsmobile Cutlass Convertible 65. Wow. I like those old, like big old boats. You know, you just float down the road. I like the long angular lines. You know, I like uh -huh. a big comfy seat. Like I want to be floating on air. Give me a mid 60s Cadillac or Oldsmobile Buick. I don't care what it is. That was the height of American stuff, you know, from the 50s to the mid 60s. It was like we couldn't make a bad product, you know, mm -hmm. a guitar, an amplifier, a car, a television, like everything had such style. Art Deco kind of modernism thing was just, you know, it was just, God, it was amazing. We made so many cool things, you know, and uh yeah. So I like that period that way. I'm not a fast car kind of guy, you know, I'm, I, I, I'd never get in a car again if I had my way, you know, like I don't <laughs> like cars. I hate being in cars. I'm in them all the time. I toured with bands. So a lot of my life was spent on a tour bus, you know, every okay. night it was like in a bus riding from Indiana, you know, to a <laughs> Kentucky or something. So I've done my miles, you know, on my day off, I get on a bicycle or I go for a walk or something. I don't want to be in a car, but if I got to be in a car, I want to be in a comfortable car. I don't want to be in a little Porsche sitting with my legs out. <laughs> my town is a big race car town. Like people come here to drive like Ferraris and stuff every Sunday, okay. Lamborghinis, because the roads are really twisty and kind of cool country roads. So it's a thing, right? Yeah. So every Sunday, like Seinfeld comes here with his Porsches and stuff. Every Sunday, there'll be all these people riding these super fancy cars around. I mean, super fancy, you know, like you'll see 15 Ferraris, you know, in a Peloton or whatever you call it, just go. <laughs> you know? But, uh, and I've been to Monaco too, where you really see fancy cars. Oh, wow. Monaco is like Monte Carlo and stuff. You see some stuff that's like, oh my God, McLarens, you know, these big, you know, just in crazy stuff. But uh, anyway, so that's cool. Indy 500, man. Yeah, a lot, a lot going on. Speaking of driving, I'm actually apprehensive about driving. I hate it. You know, having a disability, I have to drive with uh, hand controls. No, and I don't know if you've ever seen someone use hand controls to drive, but you've got like the turn signal is where the brake is, the gas and brake. <laughs> so like when I'm driving, I can't answer the phone or switch the radio station, you know, like whatever I'm listening to. So if I'm listening to the Noel Kessler podcast when I'm starting, I'm going to be listening to it when I get out of the car. A good way to, to uh, describe it for the folks at home for how my brain works drive out of your driveway and around the block and try to snap your fingers at the same time while you're doing that that's kind of how it my doctor described it you know it's hard for folks with disabilities to keep multiple things in track and that's that's what you have to do when you're driving you know so oh, man, that's awesome dude but i mean th it's not awesome that you have to struggle you know or that you have to like i'm glad it's there as an option but you know i would love to live in a place like new york where public transportation is 
obviously more available than is in Indiana. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons I've always stayed in New York City because I am somebody who wants to ride a bike. I mean, I was a bike messenger. You know, I've ridden a bike since I was a kid. I got my yeah. first bike in third grade. I was like, this is the perfect form of transportation. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, why doesn't everybody just use these all the time? And you go to Europe, they do. You know, you go to like a right. Dutch, you know, you go to the Holland or something. They're everywhere. You know, they don't even have bike racks either. They don't even lock them up because there's no crime. Dude, check this out. I was on tour, last CSN tour, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. We were in like Den Haag or somewhere, right? Somewhere around there, you know, Holland somewhere, Iceland or something. And I look out of my hotel room and there's a train station, right? So mm-hmm. like the train station would take you, you were sort of outside of town a little bit, in the center of town. This was probably outside of Amsterdam or something. So people would bike to the train station and then they'd take the train into the downtown area, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was at my hotel room, looked down on this train station and I saw all these bikes pull up in the morning, like a thousand of them, right? And they were like all super high-end bikes. You know, they were like treks, you know, like Canada, mm-hmm. like really good bikes. Not a single person locked up their bike. They just left them there, got on the train, went and worked eight hours, came back on the train and just knew their bike was going to be there. Right. And I was like, this is mind blowing. Like in New York <laughs> City, That bike would have been stripped by the time you got the elevator down to the street. You know, your bike would have been gone. Right. These people don't even lock up their bikes. We did the concert and I was a road manager. So part of my job is making sure everything's secure and stuff. And I noticed that one of the the doors to the uh, from the audience where the house is to, to like the backstage area I didn't have a card. It wasn't locked. And somebody was like, hey, you know, no, make sure like nobody can get in there or something. The door is not even locked or something, you know. So I go and I talk to like the manager or the house manager and I say, hey, you know, can we get a guard or something on that door, which is what you do anywhere in America. <laughs> so people don't sneak backstage. Right. He goes, oh, don't worry. People know not to come through that door. Wow. Right? Man. It's like just people know because they don't belong to, they're, they're not going to, they don't want to. It's a personal virtue. It's not like I can get away with something. It's like, why would I want to go somewhere I don't belong? Why wouldn't I want to follow the rules? Why wouldn't I want to steal something? And it's not to say that things don't happen. You know, you get bad apples everywhere. Sometimes people probably get their bikes stolen, but they're not going to live in fear. They're not going to live in locking everything up 24 hours a day, which is what we do. Because there's a big industry in fear. There's a big industry in not trusting your fellow American. And to wrap it all up, you know, that's that's what we're talking about. That's the damage that Trump did, you know, is that he turned us against each other, you know, and it became in, an industrialized version of not trusting your fellow man. And now you don't trust the other political party. And now you don't trust the neighbor. And eventually you don't trust yourself and you don't trust your own family and you don't trust your own thoughts and you don't trust your own emotion. And you're broken. You're in trouble when you get to that point. Well, I, I think I saw it yesterday on MSNBC. There's now an open investigation into like violations that Ukraine had against the 2020 election. Every story that was put on Fox News that was allegedly, uh, you know, a Democrat perpetrated it. The Republicans are actually doing it, you know, or, the, or a GOP pro-Trump type of agenda is the one that's actually pushing it. This misinformation causes folks to question themselves and their own reality. We've talked about that on multiple shows. Absolutely. And the Eastern District of New York, sort of the cousin to the SDNY, is opening an investigation into Rudy Giuliani's involvement in spreading the Ukrainian disinformation, you know, on behalf of the Ukrainians. Like, 
it's so mind boggling. You can't lose sight of that. You know, we can't like Bob Dylan had a song, Ballad of a Thin Man. It said something's happening here, but you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's a message in that song and, and it's never been more needed than now. And people really need to look at what's happening, really, you know, dig deep in themselves and decide, like, are we going to allow this? You know, because don't let it go by too quickly because you're going to wake up and it's gone, you know, and not many republics have stood, you know, like if you look at the history books, like time isn't on our side, you know, and we're an experiment, you know, and we're an experiment that isn't guaranteed to last, especially when you have such powerful forces, not just outside, not just Putin and stuff, but inside when you have the Koch brothers and you have all this money funneled into things when you have super PACs. You know, when you, you think that somebody's telling you the truth, question it. You know, what I always tell people with, about the drug stuff, they're like, prove it. I'm like, I don't need to prove it to you. It's not my <laughs> job. To prove it. Yeah, look at the dude, make your own decision. Don't believe me. As a matter of fact, don't believe me. People are always like, why doesn't Michael Cohn say he does? You know, use your own judgment on that. I never met Michael Cohn. He wasn't in the room when I saw Trump doing it. It was Keith Schiller, okay? You know, Michael Cohn was trying to sell you a book that, he was Trump's body man. And we, no, he wasn't. He was one of his lawyers. He was the guy who paid off the porn stars and lied on his behalf. And had Trump taken Michael Cohn to Washington, you never would have heard from him again, right? The first gig he got, he was on the National Republican Council, right? And he was a deputy finance chair with Elliot Brody, who got indicted, you know, and with uh, Steve Wynn, who's now under another investigation, who's going to get sued by the Department of Justice, right? Two scumbags and Michael Cohen, who flew around the country and said, give money to the RNC if you want to do business with President Trump, right? That was the first gig that Michael Cohen had. And then Trump didn't take him to Washington. Then he still lied about business in, in Russia and stuff. And then he finally came too, when he was going to go to prison, you know, and between the two of us, only one of us has gone to prison for lying. And it ain't me. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to attack his character, but use your own judgment. He still lives in Trump Park Avenue. Okay. Trump wasn't just doing drugs himself. Okay. Trump was selling cocaine out of Trump Tower in the 80s and 90s. He's in business with other people. If I still lived in one of his buildings with my family, I wouldn't be telling you he, he did drugs either. Uh, also, if I owned taxi medallions and I was on probation, I wouldn't be like, yeah, I knew the guy. <laughs> so, you know, people give you what they want to give you. You know, I'm not selling you a book. I'm not selling you this podcast. It's free. And I don't care if you believe me. What I'm asking you to do is look at, for yourself at things and question why people are or are not telling you things. But ultimately, trust yourself. Trust but verify, as they say. You know, and I gave a Dylan shout out. You want to say something? I'm going to tell a Dylan story. You go ahead, no. Go ahead and get in there. All right. Dylan's so it was Dylan's birthday, 80th birthday last week. And uh, Dylan, you know, I studied Dylan in high school. Most people were studying like in their classes. I was not that student. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was studying music and songwriters and progressive politics. That That's where my interests lie. I didn't have the, I just didn't have it together to be a good student. You know, I, I came from a pretty, you know, kind of a broken home to some extent you know i had a lot of good family that looked out for me but you know i had some struggles as a kid and concentrating in class was not going to be part of my uh thing and i just i knew what i was going to do anyway whatever that is you know i knew i was right. going to be part of the arts so i would study dylan i even tried to i even he was playing at wolf trap one time I, I used to go see him all the time and he was playing at wolf trap and me and my roommate snuck backstage wolf trap is like a national park service you know it runs the place i've done the gig with Jackson Brown and Crosby, Stills and Nash and stuff. And 
when I was like in my early 20s and you know, I still used to drink, we got drunk and snuck backstage. The opposite of your Dutch fans, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. And we wanted to sneak on the bus and I started to open up the luggage bay of his bus. And I was like, I'm just going to get in the luggage bay and then they'll have to take me on the road with them. You know, and then when we get to the next hotel, I'll just pop out like a stowaway, you know, and I'll be part of the villain <laughs> door, you know, and I do all this. And then I realize, oh, shit, he's playing here tomorrow night, too. You know what I yeah, mean? Like there would have right. been no driving away. Like, so I got out and then the park police found us and kicked us out of there. But so cut to like 10 years later, 1998, I'm working the Grammys. You know, at this point, I've been in showbiz for about five years the Grammys were at Radio City Music Hall and Dylan was performing on the show. And I'm like, here's my big chance to meet Dylan. You know, I was like assigned to Sean Colvin that night. That was the night Old Dirty Bastard ran up on stage. If, if you remember, <laughs> she was getting an award. And we always talk about that when I see Sean, her and John Leventhal were heading up there, the great guitar player. Roseanne Cash's husband, Roseanne Cash also had a birthday last week. Shout out to Roseanne, same day as Bob Dylan. But anyway, so Dylan's performing. You know, we have this big performance, Time Out of Mind, I think was the album that came out. And uh, we had this whole background chorus that was part of his performance. They were just hired extras who were basically just going to stand there. So I'm like, I look at the sheet, you know, and I'm like, all right, Dylan's exit stage left, you know, at 925 or whatever. I'm going to make sure I'm right there. And when he comes off the stage, I'm going to be, you know, it's a tiny little area. I'm going to be right there and I'm going to be like, hey, Bob Dylan, you know, and shake his hand just so I can say I met him, right? So I get into position, Dylan's performing. I'm on the side of the stage. I'm kind of looking on the monitor. I see some crazy stuff going down. Next thing I know, the security's pulling this half naked dude past me, right? Who across his chest had the words written soy bomb. And it was this guy who considered himself like a performance artist and he disrupted Dylan's performance on live television. He jumped off and started doing this crazy dance behind Dylan as he's performing. And it was this horrible thing. <laughs> and security had to pull the guy off stage. And then, of course, you know, everything kind of went into lockdown. And when Dylan finally came off stage, there was just, you weren't going to meet him. <laughs> you know, he was surrounded by security guys and they got him out of there. And I was so pissed at this soy bomb guy because it became this huge story then, like in the press and all this stuff. So a day or two later, I called the guy up. I found his number because his name was in the press. He's like still a performance artist. And uh, I called him up and cursed him out. And I'm like, hey, asshole, you like you screwed up. I can't <laughs> meet Bob Dylan, you know, and he's like, I think Dylan would have respected what I did. You know, I was doing like what he would do in the 60s and being a protest. And I was like, screw you, buddy. And uh, so that was my big chance to meet Dylan. I blew it. I'd later worked on like Music Cares, Honored Dylan a few years ago and Crosby, Stills and Nash perform. And Dylan hung out all day, but he sat in a trailer and he would only talk to Willie Nelson, Neil Young and somebody else. I forget who. That's elite Tom company Petty. already, man. Tom Petty. Oh, Tom. Right. So yeah, like I'm not, yeah. Hey, yeah. Tom, Willie, you know, you mind if I hop hey. out of Bobby? <laughs> But uh, he gave a great speech that night. You know, he reminded us all why, why, why he's Bob Dylan. He, re he gave a really brilliant speech that night. So uh, anything that's happening now, Dylan told us about it in a song. You know, you can go back through the catalog. You know, the dude was a prophet in many ways, you know, and uh, Tears of Rage is one of my favorite performances. The Richard Manuel version that the band played at Woodstock, you know, 
it's all right there. And that song plays in my head as I, as I look at what we're going through these days. So find some of that truth that Dylan gave us. Get a little of that outrage in your veins. Roll up your sleeves and, and get ready to work because the fight is still upon us. This is not a time to relax. This is a time to fight for your democracy. Take care of each other. Heal. Express those emotions and be well. And until next week, have a great week. Jimmy, you got any parting thoughts? We have a republic. If we can keep it, let's keep it. There you go. You heard it from Jimmy himself. If you see him out there on the roads, wave hot, wave to him, but don't expect him to wave back. Right? <laughs> I'll just, I'll diverge into the next lane. You know, there you that's, go. That's yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, man. We need more insights like that. You know, let us know the things, things you have to go through that are different. Like let people know, because that helps everybody. Man. I, uh, let me, let me say a funny thing. When I, when I go out on a date with a, with a lady, I usually just have them sit in the back seat, you know, because like I don't I don't want it to go well, you know, get get her from point A to point B safely. And it's just it's easier that way. Not not really. But that's awesome. Hey. Ladies, I'll get you from point A to point B. That's the point that I'm trying to make there. That's awesome, Jimmy. I'll tell you a secret. When I go out on a date with a lady, I try to get them in the back seat too. <laughs> that's right. All right. But let's end on that note. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We're starting to ramble, so we're going to let go. And uh, we'll see you next week. Be well. Take care of everybody. Thank you.